Thank you for this time that we can come together as a church family, that we can spend time in your word, um, that we can lift each other's concerns and, um, and praises to you. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to grow as a church family in our knowledge of you and our love of you, um, that we would also help others to see that too. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 6. Short. A lot going on. So that the name not be reviled. Those be disrespectful on the ground. Serve all by and beloved. So this is some of the well, and then even in Galatians it's different. The slave is mentioned, uh, but you're going to see people within attack the church and Paul's allowing of slavery. Um, now there's some truth to that. But we have to also break down the differences and the different kinds of slavery that have existed throughout history. And we actually have to look at what's happening today. Um, because by all accounts, there's more people enslaved today than there have ever been in the history of the world. Um, 27, the low end is 27 million people in slavery today. And the high or in the middle is probably the truth, that there are at least 400,000 people in the United States currently enslaved. And so you have to put it in perspective, and then we have to look at what the Bible would say, we have to look at the entirety of Scripture, and then we can ask the question, what has the church done? Um, has the church been complicit? Has the church fought against? And what is Paul saying in this regard? And so there's a lot of things to unpack. So the first is that we need to probably take a look at the kinds of slavery that we see in the Scriptures and outside of the Scriptures throughout history. So we know addressing here is Hebrew servanthood, which a lot of or it'd be a way to um, boost yourself up into the community, to get citizenship, to do, that. this is often, if you're so far in debt that you can't pay, then you would sell yourself into slavery, and then you would be brought under the you would serve in that capacity, and over time you would eventually work yourself, hopefully, that's so cute, freed of that slavery. Now, there's some logical things you've got to pay attention here. If Paul to Timothy to be read by slaves that are sitting in the church with their masters, or maybe slaves sitting in the church without their masters, or why would he even put it in a letter that's to be read to the entire church? And why all of them? Why battle slavery, which is what we had here in the United States? We'll get to that in a minute. So you have these people. So he's talking to Christian believing, believing. I just want to go play with her. who are enslaved into debtor slavery in this church in Ephesus. To their master. Why? Well, it's no different than what he says in Colossians. That your relationships 
between each other matter when it comes to the gospel more than you being right or wrong. He talks about how husbands and wives, and he talks about slaves and masters and masters and slaves, and under the umbrella of that every relationship matters, that every relationship matters, that we're pointing people to the truth of Jesus. We're pointing people to God as supreme and better than anything else. Now he's saying this to a group of people who in all likelihood would be eventually in their lives. That as they paid off their debts, and some never wanted to be outside of the bond servant bond with their masters because they were treated really well, they were taken care of, they had their needs met, and they served, and then they were able to continue to live under the protection of this master. But Paul's addressing a group of slaves who may not have masters who are believers, and so he's saying to them, be a good Christian in this environment, in this place, so that they would be one to the Lord. He does Well, he does. If they're a believer, they're now your brother. So that's family. So this is outside of the slavery that we would have here in the United States. So often people try to poke at the church and say, well, Paul different things. They're completely different institutions. In this institution that we saw existing in Hebrew culture, you were, you could be a brother with their servants, with their slaves. And so Paul is talking about relationship here. He's not talking about what we would call chattel slavery. If you go through of the Roman Empire was a slave. 40 million people enslaved in the Roman Empire. That's conquest slavery. Egypt to serve in a, in a slave society. That's not the same as the servanthood we're seeing here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. That and then enslaves the populace and makes them work for them. And even in those regards, you could often escape slavery or become part of society or become part, you know, even Roman slaves, eventually if you did the right thing and went through the right process, you could become a Roman citizen. So it's very different than what we would see here in the United States in chattel slavery or even today in the modern world where it's 70% women um, enslaved in the world. Indentured servitude, if you studied your American history, you know what that to come to the United States, you would sell yourself as an indentured servant. And you would say, I will work on this farm for this master or this owner or whatever. And it was lots of immigrants, I was all immigrants, lots of economic status would say, I'll do seven years, ten years on your farm, I'll work for you, and then if you pay my ship to come over. And so then they came over and they worked, and eventually when they received their freedom, then they would immediately um, move west. Not all, but a lot. The idea of coming west and you as an indentured servant and then you would pack your family up and you'd go where land was really cheap or almost free and you came west. I mean, you think about came across the United States, crossed the Appalachia, Northwest Territory, which was not really north or west, it was just middle, and then you move across this area. You can't 
travel around this area very much and not find where the wagon trains came through. Looking for land, looking for a new opportunity, looking for, well, it started most, a lot of people started off as indentured servants. If you pay my passage, then I'll work for you, and then when I'm free of that fee, I've paid you back, then I'm out. And then we come to selling of human beings. This is the slavery that war was fought over in this country. This is the kind of slavery where you can never find a way out. That if you were killed by African slave traders, put on ships, horrendous conditions, brought to the United States, often um, with no hope at all of ever escaping or receiving freedom, and then your children would be born into the same place, and they would just continue on for generations. What's despicable is that the today's economy would cost between thirty and forty thousand dollars per slave. Today, to a hundred dollars, it's gotten worse in the world, not better. And so, Paul, what we would call Hebrew servanthood here, he's talking and masters and how to interact with each other and to have mutual respect and mutual dignity. Um, what we see happen through the world is conquest, an army, conquering a foreign army, taking over the citizen population, maybe hope of getting out, maybe hope of escaping, maybe hope of becoming part of society. We see indentured servitude, which is a way to get it's supposed to be mutually exclusive, but if you read any of the stories and the diary entries of indentured servants, it was not pleasant. And then we have chattel slavery, which is you can't, there's no way out. You're born into it and you're stuck. And so the question that gets asked, what did the church do? Supportive against what happened? What did it do? for this institution, um, but the church wasn't exactly innocent, but it wasn't always complicit. As early as the early... <laughs> You're alright, I think it's adorable. I'll just talk louder. I don't know if I can, she's got some lungs. was out she single-handedly um, brought trade in Europe. A European leader, a Christian. In the 13th century, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, was sin. I don't think it's a very hard conclusion. Um, with Pope Paul essentially saying if you have 15 days to stop being a slave trader, slave owner, or slave master, or you'll be excommunicated and you're doomed to hell. Was a and before that, wives and he had all kinds of children and he thought slavery was awesome, received slaves, and then kept them around his place. From 1431 to 14. 37, saying that slavery is evil and wrong. 
say, voting at the Indians themselves, decree and declare by these present letters that the same Indians and all other peoples, even though they're and are not to be reduced to slavery, and that is considered null and void. In 1639, also said the same thing. So when you look at the church before the Protestant Reformation, it was very clearly throughout, no, slavery is evil, it's wrong. You get into the Protestant Reformation, very similar things are said. You can't church or all of Christianity for condoning, but you can lay blame on specific churches and specific people who said yes. I think part of the problem was that the church just decided to ignore what they knew to be right and walked into sin. You can't that we're created with equal dignity with every human being on the planet. You can't in found in his possession. The Bible out of the African continent by force or by then put them by force onto ships was sin. From the very beginning of the scriptures in Exodus and the Egyptian exile are fleeing from the Egyptians and being walk, walking into the desert, slavery was wrong. Taking another person is wrong. If this had been in the 19th centuries, slavery never would have existed as it did in the south of this country. Promoted in the because he himself said that when you come to faith, female, no slave, no master, no Gentile, no Jew. We're all bonded under the cross. We cleave to Christ in everything. You can't that God is okay with the kind of slavery that existed in the United States and exists today in the world. You can't say that some people who didn't know how to read their Bibles and were looking for self-gain led churches that went down a path of sin and shame. But you can say that about a lot of things. We could say that today. Churches that are deciding to go outside of the bounds of Scripture, deciding to choose things that the Bible would call sin, to say is not sin. And you put it under the whole umbrella that if you would follow the Word of God and you would follow the teachings of God... You wouldn't enter into slavery. You wouldn't enter into any of these things. So yeah, apologetics kind of way, and you're talking about what the church has done, then you should own that the church is not always, churches have not always followed the word of God. But it's not the fault of God. It's not the fault of Jesus. It's not the fault of the entirety of the church. You can look at entire. Bible and the Word of God to justify sin. But that there's entire churches and denominations that are justifying sin and ignoring the scriptures even today. 
As we read in Galatians, we are very clearly told, I gave you the bottom quote, the core, the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now you're a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. What is so sad of the planet side of nationality, the thing that can bring the whole world together is Christ. And then people decide or choose or are scared or don't know or angry or weren't taught right. They try to attack the church for something that wasn't the fault of Jesus. It was the fault of bad leadership. Incorrect interpretation of Scripture. Because when you read the words of Paul, you read what, Christ, what God has inspired for Paul to give to us, is that when you come to faith, we are all one. We're all one. And then you have to dig into the history of the world. When slavery was ended, you have abolition movements. We can talk about John Brown and his background and what happened to him and what he witnessed as a child that led him to raid Harper's Ferry and the bleeding of Kansas. We see violent insurrections against slavery. You come to moral conviction. We see a constitution written that says all men are created equal but yet didn't address the issue of slavery. I agree that there are issues, there's confusion, there's, but you can't run from the fact that the church was instrumental in ending the practice of slavery. And since the Civil War and since the ending of slavery and the slave trade, you don't see it on the shores of the world where the church isn't actively trying to stop it. are tricked or taken into India, into the red light districts of India. And there are outposts all along the border of Nepal and India trying to stop it from happening. They were so good at are flying helicopters over the border from India into Nepal to pick up the kids that are being sold into tra sex trafficking in India because the outposts were so effective in convincing kids, hey, that ad that you respond to, that story you heard, it's going to be bad for you, don't go there. So now they have, there's a whole industry of flying over the border to get past the checkpoints to stop it. There are currently so many people suffering in the world and the church is one of the at one of the forefronts of speaking truth into that. You can't have turned on the news in the current Winter Olympics in China and not had people bring up slavery that exists in that nation. You, you can't run from a headline on it. And the church has been at the forefront of saying this is incorrect, this is wrong, this is bad. The claim 40 million slaves currently in the world 24 
16 million of those are exploited in the production or agriculture. 4.8 million persons in forced sexual exploitation and 4 million persons in forced labor imposed by state authorities and 15.4 women in forced marriage. with the $450 billion a year. Are women, one in four children, slaves were India, with 8.8 million, million, Nigeria with 1 million, Indonesia with a million, uh, the country 740 9,000. says that there are 400,000 in the United States in forced labor conditions, mainly in agriculture today. It hasn't stopped. And so I think the wrong conversation, the wrong argument is often happening when people try to poke at the church because they only focus on one form of slavery and it was ended at the Civil War. Now, we can talk about the antebellum age, we can talk about how it led to the civil rights movement, how it didn't really stop and racism in America and all those things are true. But you can't say that the Bible, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is complicit and okay with image bearers of God being put into bondage is not okay. Paul is not addressing that kind of issue here. He's addressing debt slavery. He's addressing today your mortgage you can't pay, your credit card you can't pay off, and so you sell yourself into a situation where in seven years, eight years, you'll be free because you paid the debt off. He's not addressing a hopeless existence. But that hopeless existence exists for 27 to 40 million people on the planet today. And maybe I'm naive, but I think we should work at addressing what's happening today instead of re-prosecuting the past. We can talk about it. We can talk about the implications. But there's more people enslaved today than have ever been on the planet. We should address it. We should attack it. But one of the core fundamental reasons why the church gets sidetracked is because it doesn't understand its mission. I should have shrunk that a little bit. Christianity is not primarily a force of social reform. The social reform told you Paul is all about the gospel, all about the umbrella of people knowing Christ, then you read his letter, um, Philemon or Philemon, however you want to say it. Someone will correct me later. And he tells us he's now become a believer. You, he addresses those things, but his overarching goal is for people to know Jesus. The yes, we fight for truth. Yes, we fight for dangerous situations. But it's always with the understanding that our primary responsibility is for people to come to a redemptive faith in Christ. 
not just to save the world and fix all the world's problems, but for people to come to faith. Because as a faithful Christian, you know the world's going to explode. Well, be burnt. It's going to be changed. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. There's time coming when all this goes away. So it's more important for people to know Jesus than anything else. That's the umbrella that we have as people of faith. Yes, we fight and we dig in and we go out. Terrible things happening in the world because it's an affront to image bearers of God. We have to care deeply for these issues. But we can't do it without taking the gospel. You have to take the gospel. Because if you're saving people from horrific existence just to let them walk into an eternal damnation, what have you done? You've had many years, but their eternities are terrible. You've got you have to. Let all their own masters is worthy. I'm going to read it to us again. Let all so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Though they are disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. He's telling He's telling in Ephesus. You honor those who are your master. Why? Because the gospel matters. The gospel matters. It matters more than anything else. In your marriages, in your relationship with your kids, relationship with your friends, the gospel matters more than anything else. Not about being right, not about being the best, not about being the most successful. What matters is that people would come to faith in Christ. Do you believe that? I'll remind you again. The church is often a place and a refuge. The church invented the hospital. The church stepped in when no one else would take care of the sick, the plagued, those involved. And you look at whether it's the AIDS epidemic, you look at the Spanish flu, you look at anything that's happened in history, the church has walked into places where people said no. Ebola a few years ago, one of the um, and they said, how dare you? How dare you? You went where pain and suffering was happening. Now you're, you've gotten it. You're going to die. Your kids aren't going to have a dad. Your wife is going to have a husband. How dare you put yourself in that position? And his answer was, that was news media talking to him. His answer was, well, I'm compelled to serve. My faith tells me I'm going to go where there's sickness and there's, where there's disease and where there's pain, and I'm going to serve. The church is heavily involved in all of the, the ways to help people. But we always have to take the gospel with us as well. Or we're just pounding nails and sticking medicine into people and we walk away and they've got a nice house and they've got their health and they have no faith. The primary 
aim of our lives as Christians is for others to come to faith. So when you talk to people and it comes up, say, yeah, there are some churches that walked away from the Bible and walked away from their first love of Christ. Fear, rejection, sin. But God does not condone slavery like we know of it in this country and around the world today. And you can't find that, you can't find a proof that God is okay in context, with research, with logic, from the word of God. What you will find is everyone should be treated as image bearers and they should be taught to love Christ. So that begs the question for us. Do you see your whole life as that kind of mission? But that's, the, that's your life mission. Yeah, you help people, you take care of people, but does it lead to a conversation? Does it lead to a place where you say, yeah, I'm going to help you out with this. Yeah, yeah we're going to fight this. Yeah, we're going to bring some real felt help. But I'm also going to build a relationship with you. I'm also going to keep this conversation going, and eventually we're going to talk about eternity. If we're not doing that, then we're not doing it right. We have to step in and help people where their lives are at, but also love them enough to share the truth with them too. So this week, I pray you'll reflect a little bit. Um, this caused me to do some self-reflection myself. Are the people in my life that are not walking with Christ? Have I been bold enough to have that conversation with them? Or have I just been helping them out? Where's my level of boldness? It has to be there. What about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, family, and I pray for example of First Timothy, he is talking about bond servants. He is talking about slavery. But when you put it in the context of the entirety of Scripture, you can see very clearly um, that the in the 1700s was an abomination. And no church should have supported it in any form or fashion. There were many churches across this country that didn't and spoke out against it. But there were some that were in sin. And so we do need to repent of that to our friends who have questions, to our friends who are concerned about the history of the church. But we also need to be bold and point out that that was not the heartbeat of the the church proper. And we can point to examples, we can show in the word, we can make it very clear. But I pray, Lord, over all um, that we would not try to just be in intellectual fights with people, 
but instead we would have great compassion for people to hear the truth. The truth that you came to die for us and for all who would call you master, would call you king. That we should submit our lives to you above everything else. In a world that's still filled with evil and people enslaved, I pray, Lord, that we would engage in helping end those practices and bring the gospel with us. For our lives here are very short, and eternity is a long time, and a faith in you matters more than anything else. Help us to share that with the people that are close to us. In Jesus' name, amen.